Well, welcome to church, everybody. It's good to see you all. We're glad that you're here in God's house. If you're a first-time guest, welcome, welcome, welcome. Make sure you come and say hello at the end of the service. And if you have a Bible, take it out. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. The ushers will get those to you. Let's hold our Bibles up. And let's all say this at the same time. Ready? Go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen and amen. Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? We are going to the book of Nehemiah. And so some of you are already scared to open your Bible because you're like, where's the book of Nehemiah? Anyway, just it'll be up on the screen if you can't find it in the scripture. Nehemiah chapter 1. And if you can't find it in the scripture, I'll see you on Wednesday night at Bible study to help you know your Bible better. Nehemiah chapter number 1. We're beginning in verse number 4. The word of God says, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you command your, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather you from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Today we are beginning a brand new series called Great Prayers of the Bible. And I want us to glean from one of the Bible greats. His name is Nehemiah. As we explore the importance of prayer in our lives, and I've entitled this message, Prayer Paves the Way. Do you want to have God's will accomplished in your life? Prayer paves the way. Do you want to win in areas that you're supposed to lose in? Prayer paves the way. Do you want the enemy to be defeated in your life? Prayer paves the way. Do you want to see your children delivered? Prayer paves the way. Do you want to see your marriage turned around? Prayer paves the way. Prayer is not something that we should do after the fact. Prayer should be our starting place because prayer paves the way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great power. Thank you for the anointing of God to preach the word of God to every single heart. 
We pray that your message and your word would transform us further into the image of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. I don't know about you, um, and sadly this is true even in my own life some of the time, but it seems like uh, for many we pray as a last resort. We try everything else. Uh, we face a challenge, an undesirable set of circumstances, a big problem. We do everything humanly possible to fix the circumstance. And then when all else fails, we pray. Maybe it's because some think that they're not worthy for God to answer their prayers. Maybe it's because some don't know how to pray. Maybe it's because we're too busy to pray. I contend that we're too busy not to pray. Maybe it's because we are too self-reliant. And maybe, and I think this is the big one, because we don't necessarily think that prayer will have any effect on the outcome. And so maybe we undervalue the power of prayer. And and when we're finally at our wit's end, we say to ourselves, well, we might as well pray because it can't hurt. Let's just try it and, and see if something changes. And yet we see the God of the universe as we read his word time and time again, beckoning us to come to him and to pray. In Jeremiah 33, 3, he famously says, call on to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. In Psalm chapter 2, verse number 7, he says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you're my servant and today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Jesus himself time and time again talked to us about the importance of praying. In Matthew 7, verse number 7, he says, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door is opened. In John 16, Verse 23, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, I'll give it to you. And then Jesus told this parable, and it began, it's a parable of the persistent widow. You remember that one? She goes to the judge, and she she keeps pestering the judge until the judge finally answers, and I'm not going to teach on that today. But he started off the parable by saying this, Men ought always to pray. And never to cease. Why did Jesus tell us this? Because prayer works. Because prayer changes things. Because prayer moves the hand that moves the universe. Because prayer brings God into active aid. Because prayer moves mountains. It crushes strongholds. It demolishes demonic assignments. It brings a peace that passes all understanding in the middle of life storms. Prayer creates miracles. It solves problems. It saves souls. It rescues marriages. It heals bodies. It makes the impossible possible. Satan trembles when the weakest of all Christians fall to their knees. Prayer is the root. It is the fountain of a thousand blessings. It is the greatest of all forces. It honors God and brings him into active age. It always, always, always works. God hears prayer. God heeds prayer. And God answers prayer. We need to pray first. First, not last, not after we've tried everything, because prayer paves the way. And and as we come to the story of Nehemiah, 
Nehemiah is born during a time when Israel was under Babylonian captivity. And as a result, the Jews were taken from their homeland, in this case, Jerusalem, which was brought to ruins and destroyed. And what comes around goes around, though. And so they were eventually overcome by the Persians. And when the Persians overcame the Babylonians, the Jews were allowed to return to their homeland. And some of them did and some of them didn't because Nehemiah was born in captivity. He stayed in Persia and we'll see what his assignment was there. But many of the other Jews returned back home. And as they returned back home, they had to pick up the pieces because their city had been burned and broken to pieces. The walls of the city were in ruins. The gates and everything in it were destroyed. It was literally the aftermath of a war zone. That's that's what it looked like at the time. And Nehemiah because he was born into captivity, he never lived in Jerusalem. He stayed in Persia, and he, but he never lost touch with his roots. He never lost touch with where he came from. And one of the survivors of the captivity who happens to be, or it seems to be from the story, that he was friends with Nehemiah. He came to Nehemiah and he said, have you heard what's happening back home? And when he said, have you heard what's happening back home? Nehemiah's heart was touched. And by the way, one of the the ways that you can tell what God has called you to do is what touches your heart. Different things touch different people's hearts in different ways. Some people hear news and they, they slough it off and move on. Other people hear news and their heart is touched. And what grieves us and what burdens us is often an area that God is calling us to be a blessing in. And so we find Nehemiah, he, he is burdened by this. And instead of running to the phone, guess what Nehemiah does? He runs to the throne. See, too many of us, when when we when we have burdens in our life, when we have brokenness in our life, when we have circumstance in our life, we want to find somebody, a human being to talk to. And there's nothing wrong with that. But can I tell you, the greatest place for you to run is to the throne of God. And you and I have been invited by the King of kings and Lord of lords to run to his throne. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I love that. It is an invitation of a lifetime to go into the very presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Nehemiah, he doesn't try all sorts of stuff first. He doesn't exhaust all of his resources and then pray. He doesn't try to fix it himself and then use God as the backup plan. No, Nehemiah first goes to God. And because he prays first, he sees God pave the way for him to be to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem and to restore the dignity of God's people. Because he prays first, he has success. Because he prays first, he defies the odds. Because he prays first, his enemies can't stand in the way. Because he prays first, the will of God is done in his life. And he sees God use him in amazing ways. And I want to share four ways that God, or three ways that God uses him. Number one, he uses him in an extraordinary way. Number two, he he creates favor for him with an individual, with a man, as Nehemiah has with God. And God enables him to solve a big problem at record speed. Amazing things happen when we pray. I want to look at each one of these things. The first thing that prayer paves the way for is for ordinary people 
to do extraordinary things for ordinary people, regular Joes, people like you and me. I mean, look at the Bible and how many ordinary people were used by God. Noah got drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob lied. Leah was ugly. Look at your friend say, there's hope for you. Joseph was sold into slavery. Moses was a murderer and couldn't talk. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a playboy. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Elisha was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs, y'all. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while they prayed. Martha was worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was a murderer. And Lazarus was dead. And yet God used every one of these people to do extraordinary things. And when you think about it, one of the key reasons why is because of the power of prayer. God has a history of using ordinary flawed people to do extraordinary things. And one of the factors that influences God doing this in people's lives is prayer. This was the case with Nehemiah. Watch what the Bible says. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 11. Again, we read this in the opening text, but listen to it again. Oh Lord, I pray. Please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now check it out. For I was the king's cupbearer. I love that. For I was. What does it mean? That when you pray, your life goes from ordinary to extraordinary. What you was is not what you're going to be. Your level in life shifts. It changes. You go from low to being used by God. You go from being stuck in a dead-end place to God using you in a powerful place. Simply because you pray. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. What is that? That means somebody who sips the king's drinks. And the reason why he sipped the king's drinks was because sort of like altar boys, you know? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I was an altar boy. You know, you'd be pouring the wine. You'd be like, oh, sorry, shouldn't be doing that. He sipped the king's drinks. And the reason why he did that was they wanted to make sure the king wouldn't be poisoned. And so Nehemiah's job was to put his own life life on the line for the king. Can you imagine what is going on here every time Nehemiah has to has to sip that that drink? This ordinary person is considered expendable. I mean, we can get rid of him. We've got to protect the king. But every time he took a sip, can you hear him praying the Holy Ghost? I mean, he's just, he's just praying, Lord. He's, he's quoting that promise. If I drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt me. He's getting into fervent prayer because he knows his life is on the line. He's the first line of defense. And by the way, it's often in the ordinary where God is training us for the extraordinary. It's often in the mundane. It's often in the stuff that you and I take for granted, that everybody else overlooks, that God is training us. That's why the Bible says in Colossians chapter number three, whatever you do, whatever it is, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord your God, Christ. You may think that it's trivial, but it's training. God is getting you ready for your destiny. And by the way, your destiny is always hidden in your history. 
God never wastes what you've been through, even if what you've been through is ugly. He is notorious for giving us beauty for ashes and the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. He's been known to take the messy and make it into a miracle, to take the terrible and turn it into a testimony, to take the broken and turn it into a blessing, to take the trivial and turn it into training and to take your history and turn it into your destiny. God takes ordinary and turns it into an extraordinary when we pray. Prayer is that vehicle that paves the way for that to happen. If you would have asked anybody around Jerusalem, who's going to help us to rebuild the city walls? Nobody would have said Nehemiah. Nobody would have said that. Who's going to help us to remove the approach? Nobody would have thought of Nehemiah. Who's going to help us to restore our safety and our dignity and our blessing? Nobody would have said the king's cupbearer. But that's what prayer does. It turns nobodies into somebodies, the overlooked into overachievers, and the ordinary into the extraordinary. Notice where Nehemiah was. He was on the inside. By the way, oftentimes when we think we're in trivial positions, God has placed us just where he needs us. He needed Nehemiah on the inside, and God was getting ready to use Nehemiah, but God was waiting. God was waiting for a prayer. God was waiting for an invitation. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 22, verse number 30. So I sought for a man among them who could make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the lamb land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. That's one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. Here's what it basically means. It means that God wanted to do something, but he couldn't, not because he lacked power, but because the laws that he has implemented on the earth were not put into practice. And one of the laws that he's implemented on the earth is that in order for God to intervene, you got to pray. I sought for a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge so that I wouldn't destroy the land, but I found nobody. My Power was limited by the prayers or the lack of prayers of the people. How many times are we doing without the will of God and the plan of God and the destiny of God simply because we do not invite God into the situation? God is waiting on your invitation. One person said this, prayer is earthly license for heavenly interference. It was Miles Monroe who said that earthly license for heavenly interference. Ever wonder why Jesus had to become a man? Ever wonder? I mean, God is God. God could have just said, I'm going to snap my fingers and change this whole thing. But in order for God to reverse the curse that was on the land, God had to become a man. He had to walk in our shoes. Why? Because that's the principle that God has made this earth operate by. That in order for heaven to respond, earth needs to invite. It's not because God is too limited to intervene, because we know that God is all powerful in everything. But God in his sovereignty has set up laws that this world operates by. And God, because his He's sovereign, holds himself accountable to his laws and to his word, which is why the Bible said, I've exalted my word even above my name. So we have to pray. 
We have to invite God. And I want to show you how powerful prayer is. Notice what God does. Nehemiah hears the news about Jerusalem, and he prays. And when he prays, God, listen to me carefully, puts a burden on the inside of him so he could use him to be a blessing. And I know we always talk about, and this is true, that in prayer we roll the burden over on God, right? God says, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, cast all your care upon me. But can I tell you what happens in prayer? Prayer both establishes, and I'm using the word burden loosely, establishes a burden and places the burden on God at the same time. And I'll prove it to you. In Psalm 37, verse number 4, a scripture that we, we quote all the time. We say, delight thyself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Anybody ever heard that before? And we have used this to simply mean we get any desire we want to and we pray and God makes it come to pass. How many of you know that's not true? Because the Bible says if you ask anything according to my will, then I hear you. And if you ask according to my will and I hear you and you know that I've heard you, then you know that you have the thing that you've asked of. So you just can't ask for anything. You just can't go to God with this, this dream list that's not in line with his word or his will for your life and expect it to come to pass. But if you have a promise from the word of God, you could take it to the bank. So, so this scripture cannot mean that God just, just blanketly gives you anything you want to. There are qualifications upon that. And if you read it in the original language, literally what it means is when you delight yourself in God, He plants or puts His desires in your heart. And so when you delight yourself in God, what is that? That's prayer. And all of a sudden when you pray, God puts something in your heart. He puts the thing He wants you to pray for in your heart. And then God makes that thing that he put there come to pass in your can you see how powerful prayer is? Prayer is both the impregnating place and the birthing place both things happen in prayer God puts a seed on the inside of you God puts a vision on the inside of you. God puts a destiny on the inside of you. And then, because God put it there, God brings that thing that he put there to to, to pass. God was waiting on Nehemiah to pray. That city laid in ruins for 140 years. God needed somebody to pray. For 140 years. How long have you been waiting on your blessing? How long... Have you been saying, God, when are you going to move? Are you praying? Are you not just praying one time, but then are you moving from the prayer of request to the prayer of thanksgiving? Are you spending time in prayer, thanking God for the promise and speaking the promises over your life? Are you living in prayer? In him we live and move and have our being. What are you doing? Are you praying? Are you birthing what God has put in your heart? We're going to look at it, but when Elijah prayed for rain, the Bible said that he put his head between his legs. What is that? That is the birthing position. And prayer is not only the place where you get impregnated with the passion and the will of God, but it's also the place where you push to deliver what God has put on the inside of you. Prayer takes ordinary people and turns them into extraordinary people. But then number two, prayer paves the way for God to give you favor with man as you have with him What is favor? We talk about favor a lot in the church. Favor means friendly or kind regard. 
It means special or preferential treatment, which kind of makes me laugh because you hear people all say, I don't want no special treatment. I do. I got special treatment every day of my life. From who? From God. God prefers me. God treats me special. Uh, Favor means undeserved goodness. It means approval. It means a willingness to help motivated by affection. It means assistance that is advantageous. I don't know about you, but I think it was T.D. Jakes. He said, favor is not fair. It's not supposed to be fair. When you have the favor of God on your life, the goodness of God begins to flow in your life and you don't deserve it. And it does give you an advantage over other people who don't have the favor of God in their life. We have favor with God. We have favor with him. That's why the scripture says, call on to me and I will answer you. Because we have favor with God. That's why Jesus said, ask and it will be given you. Why? You have favor with God. That's why God said, come boldly to the throne of grace. Not timidly, not cautiously, but boldly. Why? Because you have favor with God. You cannot just walk into the throne room of a king unannounced and expect to live. You broke protocol by doing that. But if you have favor with the king, if you have favor with the king, you can come. We have favor with God. Why do we have favor with God? Because of Christ. Because of Jesus' grace. Favor is everything that God is free to do because of what Christ has done. It's been said before, and I'll say it again. Favor is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what favor is. And if you read through the scripture, the favor that you and I have with God is outstanding. It's incomprehensible. Psalm 5 verse 12, for you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround them with a shield. With grace, you will surround them with a shield. Psalm 30 verse 5, for his anger lasts only for a minute, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Psalm 84 verse number 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk, whose walk is blameless. Why? Because of favor. And what's the reason we have favor? Because of Jesus. Ephesians 2 says this, For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no man can boast. Jesus is the reason you and I have favor. Now watch this. When we go back to the book of Nehemiah, we find out that because Nehemiah prays, God gives him favor with a human being in the same manner that he has favor with God. Watch this. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 1. In the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxes, who, when wine was brought in for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. By the way, just incidentally, you have to know how to approach the king. See, some of you, 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 just, you just run right into God. And even though God says, come boldly, I, I, I like to say it this way, you're like, Jimmy, you go to God, I'll take all you give me. 
You don't, you don't just walk into God's presence and not be enraptured by who God is. If you are truly entering into the presence of God, it is almost impossible to come to God and not be caught by the beauty and the awe of God for the moment. You know? Remember, remember when you were back in the day when you were on the prowl, you were looking for somebody? And, and you found that, that one you looked, you'd look at them and you'd be like, she's fine. You were caught in the moment by, by, by the beauty. When you go into the presence of God, you cannot just, just start just, just rattling off lists. You gotta take a moment. You gotta be like, God, you're amazing. God, you're wonderful. God, I, I worship you. God, there's no one like you. God, you're worthy of everything I had. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you represent. Thank you for Jesus and thank you for the cross and thank you for the resurrection and thank you for your power and thank you for your might and thank you for my salvation and thank you for saving my soul and God, thank you for, I mean, you can't help it. Nehemiah goes into the king and the first thing he says is, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city of my ancestors are burned in ruins and, and his gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? Now watch this, watch this. Most people would have been like, well, I need this and I need that and I need this. Here's what Nehemiah did. He said, but first I prayed. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king. What do you want? Nehemiah said, well, let me, let me just check with the Lord here. Before I ask, let me pray. Why? Because prayer paves the way for you to have favor with man as you do with God. Are you getting this? Do you see what is happening? God is, Nehemiah has delighted himself in the Lord. God has put the burden on the inside. God has impregnated him with a purpose and now God is giving him favor with somebody who has the ability to cause that plan to come to pass in his life. You don't need resources. You need favor. You don't need connections. You need favor. You don't need the know-how. You need favor. You don't need the right look. You need favor. You need favor because favor paves the way for everything you need. Nehemiah prayed, and then God gave him favor. Look at the question that the king, the king asked, what do you want? That's a loaded question, isn't it? That's a hard question to answer. Matter of fact, when you ask most people what they want, they, they beat around the bush, and they, sometimes they don't even know. People come down in the prayer line, we call for some, come on down, we're going to pray for you. Well, how can I pray for you? Well, just pray general. What do you want. Now what you want is easy to answer if you want 20 bucks. I, I want 20 bucks. But what if what God has put in your heart is 20,000 bucks? What if it's 200,000 bucks? What if it's 2 million bucks? What if it's 20 million bucks? How, how difficult is it to then ask for those things? What is it that you want? And before you just go to somebody and ask, notice that God spoke to the king. The king was the one who said, what do you want? Because I know people will come up to me after church and be like, well, pastor, you said ask. So, pastor, can I have this? And pastor, can I have that? Let the king speak to the person. Amen. And when the king speaks, then you'll have an open invitation. They'll come to you. What, what is it? How can, can I bless you? What is it that you want? Notice this sounds a lot like what Jesus 
has done for us. Sounds like the same favor. Ask of me and I will give you. What do you want? Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, that will he give you, that the Son may be glorified. What do you want? Call on to me, and I will answer thee. What do you want? You have not because you ask not. What do you want? When we pray to God, it paves the way for us to have favor with man as we do, or in the same fashion that we have with God. And it will give you favor with all sorts of people. Whoever you need to have favor, with God will give you favor when you pray Proverbs 16 when a man's ways please the Lord he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him and when favor shows up lean in can I tell you there have been times in my life where I have not managed my moment correctly where I have not leaned in to the favor that God had given me Because I failed to take that favor before the Lord and say, God, how do you want me to to respond to this? How do you want me to? We need to lean in at time. Don't miss your opportunity when favor shows up. Don't, as they say, drop the mic when favor shows up in your life. When God brings you favor, you need to be ready in prayer to be able to strike. Nehemiah went to the king and the king said, what do you want? He then prayed and then he answered the king. He understood the power of prayer. And when he asked... He asked big. Can I tell you, when we pray to God, and then when we ask God to move in our lives, or when God gives us favor with people, we need to ask in accordance with the God that we serve. Too many people have puny prayers because they don't realize how big God is. We don't realize who we are going to, that we are going to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. I love the story about Arnold Palmer. He once played a golf tournament in Saudi Arabia. And, and the King of Saudi Arabia was so pleased that he came in and he played, and he played that he said to Arnold Palmer after it was all over, he said, can I, can I give you a gift? And Arnold Palmer, he said, ah, no, it's really not necessary. And the King said, I, I would be, I would be disappointed. I would be grieved. If I couldn't give you a gift. And by the way, see, we don't really understand kingship, but that's what kings are. One of the, one of the protocols of kings is that they love to give gifts. Matter of fact, when a king gives a gift, it's a king showing his authority and mastery over all things. And so that's why you can never give out, give God. Because if you gave God bigger than God ever gave back to you, it would mean you had more resources than God and you were more powerful than God. God will never allow us to be one-upped by him. God is always superior in all things. That's why the scripture says when we give, it's given back to us good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's because God is great the king of Saudi Arabia he said he said I'd be disappointed and Arnold Palmer he said well it'd be nice for you to give me a golf club that would be a nice memento of my time here the next day at his hotel the title deed to a 500 acre golf club showed up with lakes golf courses and everything else you can imagine and Arnold Palmer was blown away by it but he didn't understand who he was asking he was, he was relating 
to the king based on his ordinariness because he probably didn't pray. But when you pray, what happens is God raises your expectation. God puts you in a, in a kingly frame of mind. When we pray, we have to realize that we are going to the king of kings and to the Lord of lords, the God who is unlimited in all things. Let us ask prayers that are worthy of the kind of God that we serve. Nehemiah gets before the king and he says, uh, can I get some paid time off? The king says, granted. He said, can I get a letter from you and a security detail so that nobody bothers me on the way? Can you send the army with me so that nobody bothers me on the way? He says, granted. He says, can I get another order from you so that I can get all the wood by the one who keeps the forest so that I can have everything that I need in order to rebuild Jerusalem? He says, granted. And at the end, Nehemiah goes, and can I get enough wood for me to buy a house so that way, for me to build a house for me so that when I'm staying there, I could be all right? The king says, granted. Everything that he asked for, granted, 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 granted. Notice Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 8. And because the gracious hand of the Lord was upon me, The king granted my request, so I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and the cavalry with me. In other words, the king even did more than he asked. Sounds like the same favor that we have with God. Ask and it shall be given you. How? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. And God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Amazing. When you pray, paves the way for favor. And the last thing I want to share with you today. When you pray, it paves the way for big problems to be solved at God's speed. Nehemiah, we don't understand how big of a problem this was. We think, ah, big deal. He was a thousand miles away. He had no transportation. It's like from here to Florida, right? Florida's about about 1,100 miles, 1,200 miles away, something like that. Like from here to Florida, and no transportation to get there. He had no resources to do the job. He had no money, no timber, no workmanship, no nothing. But the people and the people who God showed him would help him were indifferent. Matter of fact, they were worse than indifferent. They were disappointed. They were living in a reality that changed the way that they viewed um, their future. They lost hope. Matter of fact, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. That the longer you live in something and the longer you live with something, eventually you begin to accept that something, whether or not it's the will of God, and you just give up, give up and you throw in a towel. And the people that Nehemiah is going to have been living in a city that has been ruined for 140 years. They have no expectation of it getting better because they have no one to help them. They don't know how to start. Sometimes our problem is we just don't know how to start. Sometimes we just don't know how to get off the ground in a situation. And that's why oftentimes what it takes is a small step of faith. That's why the scripture says, if you have faith, this, the, the, the size of a mustard seed. Why? Sometimes you just got to step out just a little bit. It doesn't even matter sometimes what it is. It's just a little flinch in God's direction. God is waiting for you to flinch his way. And when you flinch God's way, faith takes over. And so he's got these people there. They're the ones that are supposed to help, but they're not motivated. And lastly, as with any extraordinary assignment from God, he's got enemies that are going to show up. 
Because anytime you do anything for God, I'm never surprised by this. Enemies always show up. And sometimes people don't even know they're being enemies. Sometimes people don't even know that they're being used by the enemy to deter the plan of God. Sometimes they they even mask it in, well, you know, the, the Bible says... Trying to be spiritual. The worst kind of enemy is a spiritual enemy. The worst kind of enemy is a spiritual enemy because here's what spiritual enemies do. People who think they're right with God, they get other people on their side. And then before you know it, you got a big fight. But here's the thing when you got big fights on your hand. When you got favor, it doesn't matter what kind of fights on you. It just doesn't matter. When you got, when God has planted something on the inside of you, when God has put it on the inside of you, God will bring it to pass. And it really doesn't matter. Matter of fact, your enemies ought to make you grateful that you heard from God. Because if you didn't hear from God, I promise you there would not be a fight. There's only a fight. When the plan of God is coming to pass. And so he's got this big problem. He's got no resources. He's far away. He's got no transportation. He's got no real people to help him. And he's got enemies that are against him. But God plants this in his heart. And Nehemiah begins to operate by what I would call divine vision. Divine vision is different. It's a different type of sight. Most people operate by two types of sight. Eyesight and hindsight. Eyesight is what you see. And most people operate in their spiritual climate or in, in, in life by eyesight. What do I see? Or most people operate by hindsight what has happened that they wish they could change. And most people either get stuck in one of those two venues. And the problem with eyesight and hindsight, it'll both cause you to quit. Because it will disappoint you. That's why, listen, faith is never with your eyesight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is never with your eyesight because faith is a different kind of seeing. Vision is a different kind of seeing. And so you should never, when you are trying to accomplish something for God and really in life, go by eyesight or hindsight. You should go by insight and foresight. Oh, I'm preaching real good right now. See, insight... Insight is the ability to see behind the scenes. Insight is the ability to determine things that eyesight is not telling you. Insight is a spiritual implantation by God that allows you and I to see things as God sees things. And foresight is the ability to see the end from the beginning. In other words, despite what is in front of you, you can see the plan of God coming to pass in the future. Who for the joy set before him... The Bible said endured the cross. And and insight and foresight is what vision is made of. And it's where wisdom becomes our portion. In in, in James chapter 1 verse 5, the Bible says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, what is wisdom? Wisdom is insight and foresight. Wisdom is the ability to see something as God sees it, not completely because we'll never be omniscient, but, but wisdom is when God gives you a divine peak. When God pulls back the veil for just a moment and says, look at that right there, look at that right there, look at that right there, and then God covers it up. It's a divine peak. And here's what happens when we pray. It paves the way for you to begin to operate with insight and foresight so that you can accomplish the plan and destiny that God has for you. And while Nehemiah is now operating like this, suddenly 
the enemy show up. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 10, I'm almost done. Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this. Then they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And so this big problem gets bigger because now they are having to fight with enemies. And if you read the scripture, the Bible actually says it got to the point where they were building with one hand and they had a sword in the other hand. Can I tell you something? A one-handed saint is more powerful than a two-handed devil. Can I just tell you that if you will just pray, God will take even your limitations and use them for his glory. It doesn't matter how the enemy tries to handcuff you. If God is on your side, what can man do unto you? And so he's praying. He's got a shovel in one hand, a tool, a trowel, and a, and a sword in the other hand. And the resistance comes, and the resistance begins to laugh at him. Ha <laughs> look at you. Who do you think you are? How do you think you can change this circumstance? Can I tell you, every time you'll do something significant in life, people will laugh at you. They laughed at Thomas Edison when he said he was going to make the light bulb. They laughed at Alexander Graham Bell when he said he was going to make the telephone. They laughed at Columbus when Columbus said the world is not flat. They laughed at the Wright brothers when the Wright brothers said we're going to make an airplane. They laughed at Martin Luther King Jr. when he said that we are going to turn civil rights on its head and have a non-violent demonstration on the capital, in the capital. They'll always laugh. Abraham and Sarah laughed in the face of God when God said, I'll give you a baby in your old age. Can I tell you when you pray, God always has the last laugh. You gotta pray. You gotta pray. Every step of the way, Nehemiah prayed. Look at it. Nehemiah chapter four, verse number one. But so it happened when Sambalot heard that they were rebuilding a wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews and he spoke before his brethren and and the army of Samaria said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Anytime somebody puts like a, a joke on your name, feeble, take that as fuel for your fire. I love it. I'm the type of person when somebody says you can't, I'm like it's on. That's all I needed right there. Just that little bit right there. Just that little bit because we're going to do whatever we need to do to make it happen. Look at you, feeble Jews. Will, will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete this in a day? Will they receive the stones from the heaps of rubbish stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on the wall, he will break it down their stone wall. In other words, they can't build nothing that's going to last. Notice what Nehemiah does. Verse number seven. Verse number Four, it's a little small in my book. (laughs) Hear, oh my God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half of its height, for the people had a mind to work. All of a sudden, as everybody's trying to stop it, the wall is going up. You know what one of the greatest things in the world is? Is when people oppose you, when the enemy oppose you, and all of a sudden they see they can't stop it. It is a true 
word from God that he will put a table for you in the presence of your enemies and your cup will run over. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Notice Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 8 says, And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. And watch this, the conclusion of the story. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elu in 52 days. God did in 52 days what lay in ruin for 140 years. What am I telling you? Big problems can be solved at God's speed if you will pray. God can turn your marriage around quickly. God can heal your body quickly. God can provide for you financially quickly. God can free you from addiction quickly. God can bring your child back home quickly. God can heal your broken heart quickly. God can help you get a job quickly. God can bring the dream to pass quickly. What is your big problem? Pray. What is your struggle? Pray. What is your impossible situation? Pray. What is your improbable outcome? Pray. Why? Pray not because you have to. Pray because you know you should. Pray because the power of God comes alive in your heart when you pray. Pray not after the fact. Pray before the fact. God can do it when you pray. He can do it when you pray. He can do it when you pray. Listen, pray before, because that's how you pay the way, pave the way. Pray during. Pray every time the enemy shows up. Pray, pray when things are going bad during, and pray when things are going good during. Pray without ceasing. Men ought always to pray and never to cease. Prayer is how you put your boxing gloves on. So many people think I can't do anything about the problem. Oh, yes, you can. You can do so much about the problem. You could go into your prayer closet and you could come out like a prayer warrior. You can come out swinging. You can come out headhunting. You could come out with your boxing gloves on. Pray before. Pray during. And can I tell you this? Pray after. What do you mean, Pastor, pray after? See, so many people, when it's over, they forget to go back to the source. Nehemiah said, because the gracious hand of God was upon me, he gave me favor with the king. In other words, Nehemiah knew that the reason why his prayers were answered is because God moved. God's hand was on him. After it's all said and done, guess what you need to do? You need to go back to God, and you need to pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You need to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you heard. Thank you that you answered. Thank you that you delivered. In Portuguese, it's in Spanish, it's grazia. In Portuguese, it's abrigado. In Italian, it's grazie. But in the kingdom of God, it's thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done. You made a way, God. You made a way. Pray. It paves the way for God to make a way in your life. God wants to make a way in every single situation. And that, involve, that, that, that requires your active involvement. 